Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast. I'm Louise Wiles, an expat change and transition coach and your host for these conversations with expats and international mobility professionals, where we share stories, strategies, tips and tricks to help you build a thriving international life. And welcome to today's conversation with Michelle Barpereg from Relocate Yourself. Michelle is an entrepreneur with almost 40 years in relocation practice. She is past president of EURA, the European Relocation Association, and past owner of Pan-European Foursquare Relocation Group. Michelle is a disruptive voice in a sector that is currently facing huge uncertainty and sees opportunity for innovation. I've had this burning, I would say burning desire to change the way relocation works so that it becomes a tool for everyone to use, anyone and everyone at any time. Because I think relocation is not about the cookie cutter approach. It's not about one size fits all. It's about the individual that's moving. Now, as I said, Michelle is an innovator and serial entrepreneur who, in her own words, cannot stop developing new ideas, creating bubbles of advisors and fans to discuss and create new ideas. She's a team player and loves her work among, as she puts it, the amazingly bright people I've met whose careers and lives have been disturbed by a relocation. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed this energetic conversation as we discussed the challenges faced by the global mobility sector at the moment and discussed Michelle's vision for the future of relocation. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Here we go. Lovely to have you joining us today, Michelle, on the Thriving World podcast. So to kick off, it would be lovely if you could just tell us a little bit about you and what led you to be working in the world of global mobility. I know you've, you've had many, many years working in this area, but what originally led you and brought you to the world of global mobility and then the kind of roles that you, you've undertaken in that, that time? Well, to start the podcast, I guess I should say I could probably go on for hours just on that theme. And I know we have a lot of people <laughs> to cover. So I'll try and keep it short and sharp. Um, hello, everyone. I just want to, yes, I was brought to the Netherlands very reluctantly as a young wife with two small children who'd always lived in London up until that point. I have had and still have after 50 years a divine husband who dragged me kicking and screaming to the Netherlands with the promise of two years. Um, I behaved very much like a spoiled child in that period, always wanting to go home, uh, not looking around me to see what was here. Uh, yes, I think I was quite difficult. But um, I come from a huge, very generous and loving family with lots of relatives. And in the Netherlands, my husband, who is Dutch, but has hardly lived here uh, in the Netherlands, he was um, had no family whatsoever. So that's how that happened. So I came to the Netherlands. We lived in Amsterdam. I wasn't really prepared to like it and I behaved abominably probably. I was 26 years old. Um, later on, I got a job at the international school as a teacher. I trained as a teacher, but I married the very month that my teaching degree was finished. So no experience oh, wow. whatsoever, but I was a teacher for primary school. 
And therefore, I came to Holland as a teacher, a young mum. I didn't work in the UK at all. Came here, no friends, no family. It's tough. It's really tough. Mm. And as I kept thinking I was going back, I didn't put much effort into it. But after working eight years in the end at the International School of Amsterdam and the British School of Amsterdam, I learned a lot. And I decided that there was a lot of gaps in the market for a business. And that came about because people in the school said to me, oh, go and ask Michelle what to do because she, she's kind of English-Dutch. And I got quite a <laughs> reputation for being able to talk to parents and explain what to do where others couldn't. I felt there was a business in that. I started it from my flat. I continued working. I got a girlfriend to do some of the administrative work. And in 1984, I opened my doors as a company called Formula Two and um, with my girlfriend. And we started the business. The business took a long time to grow because we were two women and we were very inexperienced, I would say. But I quickly discovered, which still remains today, that Spouse help, which is what I originally thought about, was not a hot topic. Mm. Nobody wanted to know and mm. nobody cared. Um, I might still be controversial and say that's still a possibility in our uh, world today, but I think there is more attention to it and there will be post-COVID. So I started the business and by 2000, my girlfriend and I had split very often first businesses do end like that. But I went on in relocation. I got massive um, investment from a UK uh, venture capitalist group, a group of three. And I reopened my doors with another name, Foursquare Relocation. And um, yeah, it grew and grew into something magnificent. I had seven offices across Europe. We had one brand. The branding was great. I had 32 people in Amsterdam. I had uh, seven people in London and so on and so forth. It was, it was very big and very successful. At the same time, I had risen to the ranks of president of the European Relocation Association by then in the year 2000. Um, and I even was voted second time, which I don't think has ever happened. But there we go. I had a wonderful career in relocation. I sold my company in 2007 to the Americans who went on, and I won't give the name, but they went on and pretty well ruined it because they were looking to buy a footstep in Europe, to come into oh. Europe. And they bought my footstep, mm. but they didn't have me. And therefore, right. I think that, you know, and I'm not being arrogant here. What I mean is that if you buy something um, like that, you, you've got no guarantee mm. that it's going to go the way you want it to. And yeah, I had yeah. been, I had done, I, so I did some consultancy, I helped some small relocation companies grow, some strategy with different people and so on and so forth. Then uh, to finish, to end up the story to where we are today, I, um, I've had this burning, I would say burning desire to change the way relocation works so that it becomes a tool for everyone to use, anyone and everyone at any time. Because I think relocation is not about the cookie cutter approach. It's not about one size fits all. It's about the individual that's moving. And yes, you have to get visas. And yes, you have to do certain things. Of course you do. And you must be able to do that. But I believe strongly that the way for a, a sim good assimilation, good relocation to really work is to approach it 
as an individual project. And that individual is the person that's moving and or their family. And that's my burning desire. And that's what I'm now taking to market. Um, and in the meanwhile, my marriage continued. I have two children. I always had the two children. Um, my son is a jazz musician, plays all over the world. He's quite famous. My daughter's a graphic designer. They both have children. I'm happily settled in the Netherlands. That's my story. Fantastic. Oh, well, that's a, a lovely story. We'll come back to talk more about your, what you're creating now in terms yes. of... Yes, all right, fair enough. Case. Yes, but so let's, um, let's move on a bit more to talk... Let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the global mobility arena at the moment because, you know, the pandemic has, has kind of thrown, I think, the world of global mobility, well, not into turmoil, um, but um, has... Caused it to ask a lot of questions. I think there have been a lot of online discussions I've been observing about the future of global mobility, how things will um, react and change to, to the challenges that are, are, being, are presenting themselves at the moment. So let's start with the challenges. What do you see as the key challenges at the moment in terms of global mobility? Um, so in terms of the way global mobility is facing this current situation, but also for for employees and families. So I guess we've got two, two sets of answers there. Start with global mobility first. Well, I think we're in July now that we're recording this. And I think that mm. what we think now may not be the, um, will not have the answers we may have in November, December. That's when I'm looking at the changes taking place. I think, mm. to be honest, I think nobody knows. And I, 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 mm. I also listen to a lot of different recordings and I listen to, you know, I read LinkedIn and I follow some of my colleagues that I admire. I have a few favorites that I really value their opinion. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I honestly believe we don't know. I would say the company is going to have an even greater um, responsibility to duty of care than ever before. Mm -hmm. And it could yeah. be that some of, some of the softer approaches, as you had mentioned before, some of the more uh, spouse family orientated programs that are on offer that never get bought actually in the general in the general scheme of things may well start at least to be taken uh, taken care of. I mean, it should have been taken care of before, but the old normal had, um, for me, the old normal have expensive cookie cutter services, if I can be controversial, where one size fits all. And you just put people in those slots. You buy one day, two days, three days, you find a house, good luck, have a great life. I don't take that mm -hmm. approach at all, but I think more people will be sympathetic to what, I am trying to promote, and I won't be the only one that's going to promote this, and there will be others that will also do it. So I think mm. that there'll be much more attention to the individual. I think in mm. terms of what the individual wants, they're going to be much more, you know, bolshy about it. Um, <laughs> and I think that you've got families that will not go or spouses that will mm. not go. They want to be near a home. They want to be local. They want to be... Uh, near their families and maybe mm. even the person who's needed in the other place may also not have to go in exactly the same way that they went before so of course this working remotely which is the hot 
topic of today. Uh, what does that actually mean? I don't think many people really understand it because there's quite a lot of differences between virtual assignments. You know, that has not been well defined as yet or working from home has not it is more defined, but how often would you have to be yeah. at the office? Do you need an office? And what about insurance? Mm. If you're mm -hmm. sending people into areas where there's going to be spikes of COVID, is that going to happen mm. now? No. Um, mm. Will families split up and both families have to be, will the person that goes have to be looked after and will the person who stays behind have to be looked after? Will there be a duty of care mm -hmm. to the people that don't go? These are the questions I'm quite busy with. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't come up with, I have theories, uh, I have a lot of theories, but I'm not sure what, mm. where the answer will be. I think we have, we, we have to throw in uncertain border controls. We have rules, different rules for, even across Europe, you have different entry <laughs> procedures. You get a spike, things get closed down. Um, I think... Um, there'll be discussions on who actually needs to be in that place mm. as opposed mm -hmm. to working in cooperation on maybe mobile teams. I think you're going to have some of that coming up. Um, health support packages. What do you do if you're ill and you can't get home? I think these are the subjects I'm busy with, but I can't always find the answers. I can only discuss them. And you know what? Nobody. I've talked to a lot of people now, as I'm sure you said you have been following as well. And I would say there are no answers now. Mm. No. No. Well, I guess the questions are still formulating and changing, as you say, daily because the yeah. situation changes. Yeah. So um, I suppose what I'm aware of, just from the assignee and, and family perspective, of split families, um, people stuck you know, and not able to perhaps return home because they've missed, you know, borders have closed and so on. So some challenges around that. And certainly some of the interviews I've conducted recently for the Friday Rule podcast have been with professionals who work with mental health issues and challenges. And they've certainly um, seen a spike in their services and, and demand for their services as, as people have found themselves stuck and, and really struggling with how to cope with the uncertainty that this all brings to them and their families. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. you've got the children and teenage children mm. and um, all the things that have been pushed under the carpet because international schools, of course, take away a lot of the um, worry because you say, well, my company is paying for an international school. But, you know, I've always thought to myself for a long time, and I've taught in them for eight years, that um, international schools cover up a lot of the issues by just offering an international uh, environment. And it's all kind of lovely and beautiful. But if there's an international pandemic going on around you, are those schools that useful? You don't speak the language properly. You don't assimilate with people. All your friends are other expatriates. Um, I think it creates quite a lot of issues. And remember, a lot of companies for the last few years have not been uh, uh, supporting international education. Mm. And mm. I can say here in Holland, uh, we have a lot of, lots of foreign children going into Dutch education. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think they're in a way better off. But if you're 14 and have to go into Dutch education, it's also no good. So... Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm wary of um, making 
a definite statement about anything at the moment. I think it's foolish. I just think all, all things are on the table. Yes, no, absolutely, totally agree. So one of the thoughts as you were talking there was that, you know, it's difficult to predict where the industry might go. Um, but I think when there are lots of challenges and changes as there are currently or potential changes, people react with some forms of disruptive thinking and, and thinking about how we can do things differently. So what are your thoughts around what might, what, what areas might we see some, some big disruption from where we are now with the big reload companies, education companies, you know, that big multinationals use to provide all of their requirements and so on. Do you, do you see a shift in thinking around all of that at the moment? Well, like I said just before, I think that HR mobility are very busy with after the event events. And I think if you put the client in the driving seat and the client being the people that are moving, you will disrupt the cookie cutter industry because you will be reducing hours probably. You will be being able to budget what's needed and what's not needed needed you will be able to take into account exactly what they want and not what they don't want mm -hmm. and you will also be giving them permission to find things and do things for themselves uh, which mm -hmm. makes you much more attached to the place you move to uh, mm -hmm. than, than, than if you don't so there will come a push from there they will also become um, there will also be more attention given to what they want because there will be less relocations. You won't just send everybody anywhere. There will be less relocations. So the ones that go have to work. Mm. And mm -hmm. then there'll be the third wave, which will be those that should go, that aren't going, and how they're going to manage that transaction. And it could mm. be that a relocation consultant will, will, will secure a home for somebody and not do anything else because they only come every two months there and they're there for a week and they go back. There will be other, other things. Um, so that's what I, where I see the disruption. But the disruption mm. will really have to come from what the HR managers want. Mm. And I think that as yet we don't know and we are looking to a different mindset because I, I think the shells of this world and the IBMs of this world, you know, they have got tens and tens of years of history and, and, and they will not shift very easily. There are dinosaurs and they will look to what they do and maybe make it easier. But you've got this young group coming up who are in their late 20s and early, early um, uh, 30s. These are more my clients. They mm. tell me, listen, are you in these 10 locations? Can you work in these 10 locations? And I'll say yes. And they say, great. We simply want to buy, as long as the immigration's there, or as long as the visa's there, which we will help uh, facilitate, mm. we just want to buy time. The, mm. the jobs that this family really need to have happen that you can do them in these locations. So I often get a list of locations sent to me and I have mm. to make sure I have someone working there. And I yeah. don't mean that I am the be all and end all. I'm not putting myself, I'm just telling you what's happening now. So mm. corporates do not want to put the groups together. 
They're not interested in that. They want a chain or a group or a network or a community, but they don't want to sit there and start ticking off who's in Spain, who's in Germany. That won't happen. And that disrupts the industry to a certain, because in a certain way, because um, there are so many thousands of relocation companies out there that are small or very small, that are mm. professional and who go, you know, at the moment they're being missed out. Now, whether they will come back into force, that, that's, of course, what I'm hoping. Uh, and that, that's something that uh, I think is very possible. And that will disrupt the mm. big chains to a certain And mm. I know they're struggling. I mean, I can, I can be controversial, if you like, and I can say <laughs> they're struggling because I've heard, I've heard this now from more than, mm. more than two people. <laughs> well yes and, and and i guess you just guess that's the case anyway by the limited number of people who are actually moving at the moment um although well, some people tell me things are beginning there's nobody really moving sometimes no. i i hear about a job here or, you know here there or everywhere and they're either people who want to leave now they've had it and they couldn't get back before mm -hmm. now they're flights so it's a great deal of departures yeah great deal yeah. of departures yeah, and there's a yeah. lot of no-shows for the post-summer. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. No well, a lot of people in limbo, in between, yeah. going from A exactly. to B via C, <laughs> wherever exactly. C is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's opportunity for disruption and a move to focusing more on the employee and their needs, really, and, and yeah, supplying support. But one of the questions I have around that is that if you've never moved before, it's quite difficult to know what your requirements are if you've not done an international before move before so what form of support can you offer people in terms of you know right at the beginning of the process preparing for a move and you know, do you see a, a need for that for people to understand well you know okay I, everyone probably understands they need a visa but beyond that you know thinking through the steps what do they need to make happen in order to to move well forward? my my feeling uh louise is that my feeling is that the most important part is the preparation and the knowledge that you're armed with. So mm -hmm. I believe an incredible amount of preparation, which would be to do with timeline, which mm -hmm. would be to do with budget, and it would be to do with location. Mm -hmm. I think that to talk to somebody of experience would be terribly important to do. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, if you're not on with knowledge, you have nothing. Mm -hmm. If you just sit like a leaf on a tree and get everything, information blown to you, or you look things up on the computer, you still don't know whether to move right or left. So mm -hmm. this is what I've seen a lot. And this is what I'm trying to improve, that the data and the knowledge you get should be about what your needs are. And the list that you might have from the, from the HR that says you've got to do A, B, and C. But for the rest, you really need to talk about all kinds of issues. I, I don't think I've, I've relocated, honestly, tens of thousands of people by now. I've been 40 years doing it, so I should have done. And I honestly can say that you'd be surprised what comes up in those first looks first uh, discussions and perhaps you've got some experience of that but mm -hmm. um those first discussions are precious 
and it designs the whole relocation process. Whereas at the moment, if you get a cookie cutter thing, cookie cutter program, you get approached by two, three, four, five people. One's doing the moving, one's doing the housing. You don't know where you are. You don't know who to ask. And the whole process is extremely confusing. And then the moving van moves away and you say goodbye to the moving van. And there you are. And you don't know whether to go right or left out of your house. Even that you've got a list of emergency numbers on the door. And even though your firm might have bought a helpline for you know, a few hundred euros that they think, well, the client can always phone, which very rarely works and very rarely is used in my experience. Mm. So I, I, yeah, I think that's what, I, what people need. Preparation, information, timelines. Some people say, I don't know where to start. Mm. What should I do first? So I always say, look at what you have now. What do you want in another place? What are you willing to give up in some ways to enjoy this new life? And what are you never willing to give up? Then you get into the information about the family. Is somebody sick? Do you have aged parents? I've moved people who haven't told me they have heart disease and, and, and have a heart attack three weeks after they arrive. I've had patient, people oh. that have died. And I'm sure if you ask other relocation consultants, they're going to tell you these stories. So let's get the facts as to who they are and why they're moving and what they think they need. That's point mm. one. Second point is, I, I see little point in running around a big city, especially in a car with the estate agent sitting there and another estate agent meet at the door and the relocation consultant is there and there might be a very bored teenager in the car and everybody has, it's too much. So I think certain jobs should now go back into the hands of the people that move. They can, they, with help, they can make their itineraries. They can go and see people. They can go and see housing, I mean, and then they can go and make up their mind with who's ever looking after them. It's a much better way of handling a relocation. It's much more personal and uh, will take less time. Yeah, and actually... Listening to you say that makes reminds me of a story which I'll tell in a minute. But we, I was talking about people who have never moved before and so don't know yes. the questions to ask and what. So you've answered that. But then, you know, for many moves, there are people who have moved many times, like me. And after you've done it a number of times, you develop a template and a schema for it, if you like. You know where to start. You need know the questions to ask. And I, I remember a friend of mine moving from Portugal to Amsterdam, actually. And um, her, com her, it was her partner's company. They provided a relocation company support package, but that wasn't didn't nobody got in touch in the first few weeks. So this friend of mine, incredibly proactive, she had done the full research of schools, locations in which she wanted to live, vis-a-vis -vis school and husband's work, and had pinpointed four houses she wanted to see and one school. So when the relocation company finally got in touch and said, oh, we're here to help you with thinking through schools, thinking through housing, she said, oh, I know exactly what I need. We're coming next weekend. I need you to book visits to these four houses. Don't mind which realtor you use, but I just want to see these four because I've seen them online. I like the look of them and I like the area. And I want an interview with this school. I think she'd even spoken to the school already on the phone. So I don't think we want to go and have a look around the school because I think this is the one I want to send the kids to. So really, she had done all the work for that 
company. Yeah, the company still paid the relocation company for that work. There was a waste of you know, money from the corporate you know, budget in terms of relocation. And she'd done it herself. So it's a really classic example of how, you know, for many companies, perhaps they're funding something that isn't always necessary because as proactive individuals who are vested and interested in our own move, many of us will have done the legwork Yes, and you're completely right in this. Of course, people people who have moved before do have a template, and I agree with you. But, of course, you might have lived in Portugal and you're being sent to uh, uh, Darwin. Or, uh, you know, I mean, there are elements of what life will be like in those places that you simply won't have a clue about. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't agree entirely with you, Louise. I do think that you can have your template and you can do a lot yourself. In fact, I reckon, I'm doing myself out of business here, but I reckon there's about 80% that you can do on your own. But the 20% that somebody else can help you with is the authentic reality of the place where you are moving to. And that counts for a lot because you might have worked it all out and people do, they often, first of all, the houses may not be there anymore. That's classic. I've chosen yeah, four yeah. houses, they're not there anymore. Okay, yeah. now I have to go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, you might have a child with dyslexia, dyslexia, mm -hmm. and you've chosen a school, and then somebody who's local and knowledgeable will say, you know what, that school the last two, three years has had tremendous problems. Mm -hmm. You know, we've heard enough complaints from parents about certain lapses of attention or whatever um exam results of that particular school if you've got a 15 year old and you're hearing that there's a lot of failures or they say they do baccalaureate but it's much too hard for a lot of pupils and they there's no other alternative so it's so nice to have a sounding board an intelligent mm -hmm. sounding board yeah. yeah um therefore it helps if you've moved, it helps you to assimilate, and it helps you to be proactive, and it helps you to open your eyes to what might be. But I, I still maintain a local support is wonderful. And you don't know what's going to happen to you on your journey abroad, which is another one of my pet uh, pet subjects, because you might get pregnant, which is not a serious matter, it's a lovely matter, but you might have issues you might have family that that, that pass away uh, serious things you might you might want to suddenly buy a house instead of renting a house um it's nice to have a relationship with people in the know this is the broader terms of what i'm trying to do of course but i always quote a wonderful woman called naomi she won't mind me quoting who uh, i did a talk with in washington and uh, uh, we talked about um, that she had moved eight times and she had moved to India with her three children and her husband and it was one of many moves. And she said she had eight people on her email lists. So when she said where can I buy butter or, you know, whatever, stupid question. She had to send it to everybody in, in, on her list. Mm -hmm. And she said it was so humiliating and so ridiculous mm 
And often she just needed to know, and they took a long time to answer. So if she said, I need more time because I don't have a house yet, or you only promised me 14 days in a hotel, but I need actually three, four weeks. She didn't get answers. She didn't because it went through all those people and nobody took responsibility. Yeah. And I'll yeah. never forget that as a really good story for how, mm. it, how yeah. it is on the ground for people. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I don't think I, I, I wasn't suggesting that there was no support needed. I think I was probably meaning that when you have that template, you probably can be more focused in the questions you ask. Um, but I know also from my, my conversations with many expats that often the relocation support where people have been really interested in their individual needs and connected with those are always the ones that get spoken about really highly. So, a friend of mine who moved the child with, you know, a health issue to the States and, you know, the relocation consultant who combed the area for support in schools, you know, they became best friends. But it was because of that support initially that, you know, she went be over and beyond, you know, what was required, you know, as a basic you know, functional requirement from the business and, and develop that understanding of the family and their individual needs that really so made a it's such an important relationship that is so often skipped over and louise you yourself said something when you can create a template plate but first of all you're a smart woman who wanted to make the move but you have to think a lot of those those occasions somebody doesn't want to go and that somebody has to then create a template for the whole family to work out when they themselves are not being listened to mm. and that's mm -hmm. what gets my goat because it's it's you know it's usually the spouse who's been uprooted from a career or has agreed to go for 10 years for the next 10 years of their life there's all kinds of things that happen but mm. You know, yes, you can make a template. You're a smart person. You can do a lot. That's what I really appreciate hasn't been listened to in, in the relocation world. But on top of that, what about you? Mm. We mm. know that many, many spouses are just not taken care of. Mm. They're all, first of all, they're busy taking care of others. Mm. But what about their story? Because their mm. story is not always the happy... Um, one that it, it could or should be. No, well, absolutely. And I know, you know, my story hasn't always been a happy one <laughs> every move. So let's, yeah, yeah, I know I, I can see it from both sides. And But I think that, you know, that comes to, to the point about dual career couples and how organisations support them at the decision-making point as well. You know, uh, you know are, are, are they supported to make an informed decision? And one where the partner is encouraged to think about their future you know not to just see it as a, a logistical move move from a to b and then i'll somehow sort myself out later but you know well why am i proactively making this move and how am i going to make it work for myself um and how as a couple are we kind of talking about it because you know if, if you're brushing one partner's career under the carpet and not really having a proper conversation about what might happen to that career can guarantee that is going to come back and bite <laughs> probably a year or so in and that has definitely happened to me you know, my, my husband and I have had some right sexies around my career over the time we've been aboard and 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 I know I'm not alone in that and yeah. it can become a real point of contention and actually can lead ultimately to relationship breakdowns which I have also seen so 
yeah, it's really important that that conversation is encouraged at the beginning. And yet that's probably exactly what corporates try or companies would try to through. No, we don't want that conversation at the beginning because it puts perhaps people. No, I don't think they even, they don't think they even care. And you're completely mm. right in what you say. But I have another theory on that. I'll keep it terribly brief. It's just that I feel it very much depends on where you are in a relationship that will make the difference between success and failure. So if you've just fallen in love six months earlier and you were thinking about moving in together or getting married or whatever you want to do, you might be forced into a situation that may not be reality or realistic because you don't know that person well enough. Mm. And that, well, if you're very much in love and that period you will probably do everything to be together but it may not be the right thing if you have to give up a career or you have to give up a study many many mm. people do that and then they yeah. find six months later they're stuck in a place and actually this isn't working out in any shape or form so mm. i think and sometimes there are some countries where you have to get married anyway first before mm. you go some of the uh, some some countries yeah. have that so i or you could be in the middle of IVF treatment. I had a client in the middle of IVF treatment and a wonderful job was offered. And, um, well, quite frankly, they didn't much want to go, but certainly she didn't want to go and she wanted to continue with it in the place that she knew and felt safe in. Mm. And she wouldn't bring this up with a, with a corporate employer. It wasn't mm. her, it was her husband's. Mm. And you think, well, you know, I don't want to do this. But it was a great op job opportunity for somebody. It's always for somebody. It's the person who does not make the decision to go is the one that has all the problems later. Because the mm. one who wants to go wins. I know it shouldn't be like that. And I know you make decisions together. And I know all that happens. But at that moment of choice, mm. one that's got the job offer is keen to go. And it's very difficult to say no. Because... Yeah, if you're saying no, then you're perhaps stopping their career development. And yeah, yeah. It is a big problem. It's a big problem. And also, you have to think at the other end, I'm also very busy because I'm also of an age. But you think about it. I've lived now 40 plus years in the Netherlands and I consider myself to be British. And um, I've done some repatriation course, courses for the European Patent Office, which is very big here, which has all European uh, workers, scientists and their families and, you know, upper escalons of in intelligent people. And I ran some courses for them on, you know, where are you going to end up? Because mm. a lot of them had been 20, 30 years in, in the Netherlands. And I tell you something, there was, it was confusion and misery all around. I don't want to be... Um, you know, I mean, what I, what I discovered was that they all had in their heads a kind of idealist view of the future. Oh, no, they weren't going to stay. They were going to move somewhere to an island, to the sea, to the beach, to a villa. There was all kinds of romantic ideal ideas about their future. But it sort of felt that that many, many years they'd lived in Holland really hadn't rubbed off on them. Mm. And that's also something about if you, because a lot of moves today, don't forget, are local and they're permanent. Mm. That's a lot mm. of that now. And mm. that means that you have to commit to the country far more than if you're a career uh, a, a mover and mm. will move many times for your career. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
it's not so easy. I mean, if I had to go back to live in London now, I would have many thoughts about it, good and bad. It's very confusing. And mm -hmm. in my age group, I would say that a lot of the expatriates are really, that I've been friends with all my life here, are really considering going back to home country in their late 60s and early 70s. Mm. It's another, it's another angle, but... Uh, well, no, and they're coping with multiple transition changes, aren't they? So that transition from working life to retirement, which is a massive transition in your own country. Anyway, And if you're yes. also building in international you know, relocation as well, then that's, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then with that is always, you know, if you've been abroad for any length of time, everyone knows you never actually go back truly to where you were before. So it's, yeah, like a new move anyway. So. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah. And, and mm. the version you have of home is very, very important. And it changes. Mm. Look, you know, somebody in that talk I gave said, said to me, well, everybody's dead. You know, everybody yeah. I knew in that town is dead. That I knew mm. then. Mm. And it, it, there was complete silence over the whole group because... Yeah. It is a bit like that. Those are the yeah, changes. You it's not the it, buildings yeah. or the supermarkets yeah, yeah. gone. It's yeah. much more emotional. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think there yeah. needs to be attention given. So more coaches need perhaps to ply their wares mm. uh, in order to support people in these um, in these circumstances. In this decision making stage, yes. Not only, but also the journey. End. Yeah, and no, I mean, I mean at that end, because that's yeah. a decision as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there are multiple decision points, I guess, through life generally, but then add the international context to it, and then you've got another uh, yeah. Yeah, whole, whole perspective on it. Okay, so one question I wanted to ask you about, and this is an observation just from things I've been watching and listening to in time, in response to, you know, where we are now. Um, you know, the use of technology in relocation. Sometimes you would think that technology is going to be the answer to to everything. Um, <laughs> the way you hear some people talking about how it's going to be, you know, implemented and, and used. What's your your take on technology and how how technology is used within the the relocation industry? Well, I I'm afraid I I sort of have to repeat myself because for me, IT is a tool that you must have in the relocation process. But the way IT is used today, and I've never been proved wrong yet, is that it's used for tracking everything that's happened. It's mm -hmm. after the event. So when you find a new house, you have to send a report to the corporate to say they live at 22 um, Lauderdale Drive. And that's what they need to know. They need all those facts on their, on their forms. Mm -hmm. Get it. But to me, IT, for me, it is a way of being able to communicate with your client in an agile and flexible way. There's nothing to take the place of that. It's really marvelous. And there is information that has to pass hands. And yeah. therefore, you need the tools to do it. And there is masses out there that's already been invented Mm -hmm. to uh, accommodate those kind of transactions. And also yeah. paying, I mean, no relocation company pays online yet. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, that's something I do already, but I still often have to work offline because the corporate doesn't, doesn't click and buy. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Like you do when you go to Zara or wherever <laughs> other brands are possible. <laughs> but but it's so for me, uh, it's got to be there. It's got to be right yeah. up front. And I think a good manager of a relocation process has to see what's out there and is there something that can help and uh, in administration or making administration easier. But I don't. I put it equally side by side with my clients. So their needs and the way to help them in the fastest manner mm-hmm. is the way I'm looking at the IT tool. And um, it's, it's a must. I mean, people mm-hmm. who are running uh, old traditional relocation companies now, it, small, the small companies, the ones I'm mostly busy with, you know, they do have, uh, uh, tools at their disposal and they can do things online but mm. where I'm busy with is I'm aren't busy and I haven't got it right yet myself 100% is the interactive approach mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you could fill in a form and that people will get back to you or you know you can have a complete new website that doesn't have an interactive uh, uh, part and you could do fine with it but mm. That's where I see the future of relocation going. It's got to be interactive. It's got to be agile. It's got to be flexible. And it's got to help you as the relocation uh, manager. It's got to help you to give the best possible service of what's out there today. Mm. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's not looking up lists from a consulate that gives you all the school. It's, Knowing far more than that, it's not yeah. about lists of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it's, it's facilitating the, the sort of relationship and, and and I guess the context of all that detail in terms of knowing the difference between the different schools comes from somebody knowing the area and, and being able to speak to somebody rather than yeah having yeah. a list printed off. I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, just just to finish then, because I'm conscious of time here, just tell us a little bit about relocate yourself. And I mean, you kind of talked a bit about it in some of your answers to questions, but mm-hmm. kind of provide a summary of, you know, how it differs from the support that is currently readily or currently available in the relocation industry. Well, what I I, I can just give you a, a broader. A, a broad feeling of what I'm trying to achieve. And that is that the way I want to do it at Relocate Yourself is to give a real life support to people who have to move. And I'm not very fussy if they're corporate people, if they're doctors and nurses. I've been doing quite a lot of university professors recently just because. And they all want to be helped they want, and they're conscious of the time and the money because a lot of people in my group pay themselves, but definitely not always. And so we've developed a kind of pay-as-you-go relocation service. It's something like that. But I'm even hesitant to use the word relocation because I don't think it's about relocation anymore. And I kind of think relocation's done for, the word. And that's controversial because I can't think of a better word anyway very often. So I believe that you go through an experience 
and you need at various points in that experience support and it can be mental support so it can be coaching it can be child support in how to deal with certain issues that come up it can be health support mm -hmm. but it 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 needs a kind of a pathway that's much longer than the moment you have to get your visa until you've shut, got right. the keys of your front door. It, in fact, I would be, I would say it's even not to do with that. Mm. It's to do with something else that makes you a good productive worker in a, in a new place, not just the first three months and four months, but, you do your best job when you assimilate, you understand the society, you understand a bit the politics, you know whether to go left or right when you come out of your house on a Saturday morning. And what a lone, single female will want on her life journey and a family with three children and two dogs will want is, is quite different. But what they do want is accurate information and that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to give them a friend on their shoulder or not even a friend you can say a companion on their shoulder who will look out for them who will simply look out for them and give them the information they need and so for me i use people all over the world that i've got in my little black book again from the 40 years of relocation i've got hundreds and hundreds and I simply use them because they're small enough to be agile. They work very often on their own or with two or three people, so it's ideal. They can work online. They know how to work online. They're smart. And that's all you need in order, mm -hmm. in my opinion, to settle mm -hmm. well into another country, which is ultimately what you want. Now, I can be controversial and also say that once the job's out the door for HR managers, if they're somebody who has to look after them from the UK going to America, once they're on, their, on, the, on the plane, they have very little to do with them. I mean, they do sometimes want reports back. Did he get a house? Did he get to school? But what do you think they do with all this information? Yeah. So many relocation consultants complain bitterly that they spend so much time filling in reports. Mm. I don't want that in my system. I want it to be recorded. I want it to be looked at if necessary. I don't mm. say I can be totally... You know, free and easy. You have to have you have to have the framework there. Yeah, but it's all about making a, a a family feel at home for the length of time they've got there in that place, and being able to move to another community. So as soon as somebody's coming to an end, they change jobs or they haven't moved somewhere else, then they simply get in touch with the relo angel in another place and they go on working under this system, which is really yeah. pay as you go, click and click and find your Reno angel, send in your problem. They'll only deal with that problem. And then of course you usually, in my experience, ask for more. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's how it goes. So I had a top woman going to Switzerland. That means top manager with a 13 year old daughter she came across us via her company, I have to say, very smart HR manager that gave a certain amount for visas and stuff, but not much more. And she had a lot of worries about being alone with a teenage daughter mm. in, in Switzerland. And I put her in touch with my angel. She bought 
she bought three hours, very little. She just didn't know how it all worked. Mm. She went mm. on to buy another 10 hours. And now she's saying, I'm never letting you go <laughs> because <laughs> you're so useful. And that's my kind of ideal relocation client yeah. as a businesswoman, as a businesswoman. Yeah. So it's kind of, so, so, yeah, because so often people say the support stops on arrival, but actually that's when the support often needs to be ramped up in many and, ways. So. And the last yeah. thing pertaining to you, Louise, and the work you do and the fact that you've moved so much, you're a typical, for me, you're, you have a lot of experience in your bucket. But I have met so many really smart, talented people who end up in all kinds of places and they've started a relocation company or they work for a relocation company and they have the power, the knowledge, the intelligence. I cannot begin to tell you what I found on my search and I'm trying to put these people into a community that they can enjoy and mm -hmm. hopefully get work from. But my ultimate goal is that they find work for themselves mm -hmm. and we have them, you know, different, yes. different ways. Reciprocal. I'm yeah. not getting in. But the point about it is that they often go on and develop really good businesses, which I know they're capable of mm -hmm. in, in their own community. And that's my dream is to give these smart people that I meet, meet, meet and people like myself who absolutely hated coming to live in Holland at the beginning. <laughs> Look what happened. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not, putting myself on a ladder but look what you can do you can do and there's lots of people like me out there that have made written books and made careers and done all mm -hmm. kinds of things and that's the people that i want so i yeah the tennis players and the swimmers and the people that have a wonderful life sporting life and all this is great but there are lots of people out there that are frustrated and want to do something with their with their mm -hmm. mind yeah, that's what, yeah. I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, brilliant. And I know, well, quite a lot of people I interviewed on this podcast would fall into that category. Um, and I probably I know quite so. a lot of other people as well. <laughs> I hope so, I'm really looking for, a, for, a, for, you know, I'm really looking to open up countries and areas, but especially where the locations might be a little bit more difficult than, say, Paris or Amsterdam and it's not a difficult place to move into everybody speaks English but well even in France you, you know I've got free angels Reno angels in, in France because the, it, the language if you don't speak it fluently you're also stuck yeah 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 so yeah it's not about being a translator but it's a be, about being a translator for life you know it's for living yes yeah. yeah. so that's what I'm trying to do and I, I you know I always, my friends say I mention my age too often, but you know, I'm 71 and I still have so much to do. <laughs> so I hope that I'm going, you know, don't anyone ever give up whatever their age because that's nonsense. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's fantastic because I think that kind of brings the, the conversation to a close very nicely because All it right. started at the beginning with you moving to Holland and, and not being happy about that but making it work for yourself and developing a fantastic business and career and here you are at 71 evolving and developing a new new um way of, of offering these services which is fantastic so michelle that's been a fantastic conversation 
how can people get in touch with you if they would like to contact you either about you know support for their move or because they think they might be able to contribute to your business as a team just member just get in touch with me straight away directly at michelle m-i-c-h-e-l-e at relocateyourself.com with your story, with your worry, your concern, your career plans, and I will pay attention to it. You can look on my site, www.relocateyourself.com, but that site is being upgraded. So while it's nice and it has some interesting facts on it, I am in the process of changing. Brilliant. Okay, well, I will put those on the blog post. And so people can go to thrivingbroad.com and look for this episode and find those links there too. But thank you so much for your time today, Michelle. It has been wonderful talking to you. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. And um, when even listening to what you say, Louise, makes me think about all the potential that's out there. If we've got enough, you know, people around that will think the same way as we do about <laughs> relocation and that's exciting it keeps is, us yeah. connected with the world it does indeed and thank you so much for listening remember to access the links and the full transcript from this conversation go to thrivingbroad.com episode 62 and look for the blog post associated with this conversation and while you're there why not subscribe to the regular podcast newsletter so I can keep you up to date with all the podcast news. Thank you once again to Michelle for sharing your experience, enthusiasm and passion for this fascinating world of global mobility. I'll be back soon with the next episode in the Thriving Abroad podcast series. Meanwhile, take care and stay well wherever you are in the world. Bye-bye for now. Oh,